0: Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. (laughs) Hope you guys are having a great week so far and I hope tomorrow is filled with delicious food, family, friends, and great drinks. Now, of course, we're all in for a treat with all that deliciousness tomorrow, but you're also in for a treat right now. I've got a great podcast lined up. Our first segment today is going to be on dog parks. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Then we'll have a segment on feeding dogs people food, and sort of my take on that. Then comes our breed of the week, followed by our guest spot. And today's guest is going to be Alexandra Ash from Kinkatopia. And Kinkatopia is a kinkajou rescue. Now, if you do not know what a kinkajou is, you're going to want to stick around and find out. Now, our last segment today will be our listener Q&A. And if you guys have any dog questions for the listener, question, and answer, email me. You can email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, I really, I greatly appreciate all the listeners and support so far. It's really been awesome. Uh, and if you have a minute, do me a favor. Leave me a rating or, uh, or give us a review. Give me a review. Let me know what you think. I'd really love to hear what people are thinking of the podcast so far. And I hope everyone out there has a wonderful, safe, and kind Thanksgiving. Let's remember to be kind to one another. Now, sit, stay, and enjoy today's podcast. Next up on Speak, a dog it's all about dog parks. Yes, the dreaded dog park. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, my goodness. You know, if you've ever been to a dog park, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Dog parks can be an awesome and fun, amazing thing. But they can also kind of be a terrible place. (laughs) No, no. Uh, It's not that they can be a terrible place. It's just, unfortunately, some bad things that sometimes come with a dog park. Um, You know, when I first started my business, I I only offered in-home training. And if I wanted to socialize my own dogs, I frequented the dog park. And it really allowed me to see just a wide variety of different behaviors and, and dog ownerships and, hey, maybe even a little bit of philosophies going around, and, uh, you know, I, I, don't frequent dog parks nearly as much as I used to. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough that my business, you know, I now offer doggy day camps. I offer doggy boot camps and boarding, and this allows my dog, to, dogs to meet a lot of different dogs and socialize and play and, and get all that time in. So I tend to not frequent a doggy day, or excuse me, dog, dog park facilities nearly as much as I used to. I tend to only go to dog parks now for training purposes. To me, a dog park is kind of just that it's, it, it, it's a training tool. And you can go back to episode four and listen to my segment on training tools and hear a little more about that. But let's talk about what the dog park is like, the experience of the dog park. Most every dog park I've been to, it's about the same. You arrive with your dog and what happens? Oh my gosh, chaos ensues. (laughs) All the dogs come running over and barking their heads off and they're going nuts. And then you hear half the owners yelling at their dogs to come back to them. And maybe only one of those dogs actually listens. (laughs) And then you enter the dog park and even more chaos ensues. And sometimes worse things happen. Look, that initial greeting is, that's a lot of times where I see dog fights in a dog park happen. Uh, But I've also seen worse than dog fights. I've seen human fights occur in dog parks. There's also all the people who, who think they know everything about dog training. I like to call them the Google dog trainers because they've Googled everything on the internet about training and technique and they think they know everything about training and they want to make sure that you know that they know everything about training, even if everything they know about training isn't true. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a lot going on at dog parks, a lot of stimulus happening and, um, it, some of it can be great. Some of it can be good stuff, but some of it may be not so great. Uh, it can be tough to find a good dog park sometimes. And some of the good dog parks, they'll actually have a responsible group of owners that maybe comes around the same time every week. And you'll find they all get to know each other and they socialize and their dogs are well behaved. And that's, that's like the good side of the dog parks, right? But sometimes you'll watch those owners that go at the same time every week and they're all hanging out in the dog park. And all of a sudden a new dog comes in and, well, they all know that new dog and they know that new dog is not going to behave very well and they'll all pick up their leashes, grab their dogs and head on out of there. So that's the thing is you can't always control everything that goes on at a dog park and that's what can make it a little bit crazy. Honestly, the dog park is sort of like taking your kid to the playground. Now, if you if you teach your child how to share, how to get along with others, how to come when called, oh, no, I'm sorry, wait, that's the dog, that's the dog, uh, <laughs> then you shouldn't have too many problems. <clears throat> but, When you run into bad parents at the playground, know-it-all parents, spoiled children, maybe kids that don't know how to share or are possessive, well, then the playground described like this kind of starts to sound like a dog park, doesn't it? So if you teach your dog how to share, your dog how to get along with others, and very, very important, you teach your dog a recall, that is to, you know, come back to you when called, then you shouldn't have too many issues. You're setting yourself up for better success. Now, really my preference, my alternative to a dog park is not a dog park at all. My preference is find yourself a healthy and safe social, to, uh, to, excuse me, find yourself a healthy and safe doggy day camp facility, better yet a training facility, maybe one that's monitored by professionals or trainers. And that way, you know, um, it's set up for success, right? And, and that's going to create a, a more cohesive atmosphere and safer atmosphere for your dogs to play and have fun in. So, of course, if you are on the Treasure Coast or you're in North Palm Beach County, you're going to give me a ring, thenatureoftraining.com. You can find all the info there. We have doggy day camps, boarding, all of that wonderful stuff. And, of course, we can train your dog as well. So be sure you check it out. Let me know if you need any help. Would love to help. Now, uh, with that said, interestingly enough, recently I've been getting a few phone calls from people. And they used to go to some doggy day camp and boarding facilities in the area, but they've decided they don't want to go there anymore. And you know why? Well, fights have happened. And it's terrible because these places, I, I hear it time and time again. Um, I had one client who told me her dog came home constantly. Anytime she took him there, were scratches all over, sometimes even a little bloodied. And, and that's horrible. And the excuse was, well, you know, dogs just play rough. That's just That's just dogs playing rough. I mean, wow, (laughs) I can't believe that a facility is actually telling owners, your dog is all scratched up, and that's just, that's what happens. Oh my goodness, no, that's what happens in an unmonitored, and unsafe facility. So I've actually been getting these people as clients, because when dogs come to me, that that stuff doesn't really happen. Now, of course, knock on wood, I'm a human being at the end of the day, I'm never going to be 100% perfect. But those, those incidents do not happen in in my facility on a regular basis at all. That kind of stuff is just unheard of because if you're paying attention and you know what you're doing, then it won't escalate to that point. Right? So really my preference to a dog park, find yourself a reputable doggy day camp and boarding facility. Uh, I encourage you to know who's watching your dogs, who runs the facility, who owns the facility. Uh, But you know, just, just check that out and do your research. But let's say you're going, hey, David, you know what? I have, I have a dog park around the corner from my house, and I think it's all right. I think it's a pretty good place, and doggy day camp's just not an option for us. So I really want to get my dog socialized. How can I take my dog to the dog park successfully? And, you know, it kind of starts like this. It starts before I even let the dog out of the car. Well, for that matter, it starts as I'm driving to the dog park. <laughs> uh, when my dogs are in my car, when I have client dogs in my vehicle, I like to make sure they're calm. I don't like to let the dogs work themselves up. I don't like to talk to them and go, oh, we're going to the dog park. There's no reason to pump them up. The dogs are going to be plenty excited when they get there, right? I mean, come on, they're going to a dog park. They're going to have lots of fun and they know it. So there's no reason to get them overexcited. They can just be excited and that's fine. Uh, But we don't want them to be overexcited. So even when I get to the dog park, same thing. I don't want to just open the door to the car and let the dog bolt right out and get overexcited. It's going to be a lot harder to regain control if I, if I kind of forfeit it right off the bat like that, right? So I'm going to take my time getting out of that car. I want to make sure the dog is staying with me, staying focused, paying attention. Uh, once I feel like I can open that door and we can sit there for a couple minutes without the dog bolting and he's kind of just chilling, well, then I'm going to let him out of the car. Now, even then, I'm still going to maintain focus once I let them out. I'm not just going to let them bolt and get six feet in front of me and drag me over to the park. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want control, okay? Uh, there's a time and a place for everything, and it's called college. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's what my parents used to say to me. is that a little joke. Uh, no, but there's a time and a place for everything, and the play, the time for playtime is once we get in the dog park. But when we're still leashed up, I need my dog to understand, hey, if you're leashed, you got to still pay attention. you got to still stick with me here, okay? So I want to make sure I maintain that focus. The other reason is, Once I get into the dog park, once I take off the leash, once I forfeit control, I need to know that I can regain that control, regain that focus when I need to. And by keeping and maintaining that focus as we approach the dog park, well, that'll ensure that I'm I'm more likely to get that result in the end, okay? So again, make our way over to the dog park, maintaining focus. Now, I don't want to walk straight into the dog park. We're not going straight in once we get there. I like to take a little stroll around the outside of the park. Check it out, you know. Assess what's going on. Make sure I like all the dogs that are in there. Make sure I don't think there's any troublemakers. Uh, because, you know, if there's if there's anything going on inside the dog park you don't like, you don't have to go in. You know, there's just, there's no reason. You can come back a different day and just take your dog for a walk instead. There's nothing wrong with that. And also walking around the dog park allows me to, again, make sure I'm maintaining control when we have distractions and triggers around, Right. So let's say I like what's happening in the dog park, it's calm, my dog's being good, we're maintaining focus, well, then I'm going to make my way over to that entrance. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with dog parks and their setup, um, you know, most dog parks are are identical. There is a big side, uh, excuse me, big dog side of the dog park where the big dogs are allowed, and then there's a little dog side of the dog park where the little dogs are allowed. And each dog park will have an, uh, each side, excuse me, will have an entrance And the entrance is actually a double-gated entrance, right? So you're going to walk through the first gate, and you go into a little holding area. Then there'll be a secondary gate that goes into the dog park. And that way, the double gate allows us to enter and exit safely, so no dogs can escape out. So I like to find my way into that little holding area. Once I get in there, I will keep my dog leashed up. Now, of course, what happens? Oh, the dogs are going to come over and run over to greet you and bark and and go nuts and... Again, another great time to practice and make sure my dog can maintain focus with a lot of distractions around. It's a great training opportunity. So, I'm going to wait it out. I usually wait a couple minutes, have my dog in a sit-stay, make sure he's staying calm. And usually after a few minutes, most of the dogs will actually walk away and kind of lose interest. Now, when I see it calm down like that, that's my cue that it's time to enter the dog park. Again, not going to take off the leash yet. I'm going to keep the leash on, keep the leash in my hands. And I'm going to walk right into the dog park and just start moving, start walking. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let all the other dogs surround my dog. Um, You know, I don't want my dog to feel cornered. I don't want any other dogs to accidentally feel cornered and trapped in that moment. That's where a lot of those dog fights happen because, you know, it's an unfamiliar dog. We're unsure. And if they get trapped, they might feel like they need to lash out to get out of there. So that's why I don't just walk in and stop. That's why I don't just walk in and take off the leash. I walk in and just start walking with my dog. Now this allows the dogs to come up safely and quickly, take little quick sniffs of my dog. My dog can take quick sniffs of their dog. We're never stopping. We're never slowing down. We're never giving them an opportunity to feel like they're trapped. Okay, so I'll walk around for a couple minutes. And again, let them all sniff quickly, take our time. And then once I feel comfortable, I'm actually going to drop the leash. Just drop the leash, let them drag it around. Now it's at this moment, (laughs) it's at this particular moment, if not sooner, that the local Google dog trainer will come over and tell you that you need to take the leash off of that dog. Now I will say this, here's the little asterisk here, okay? Um, Dog parks have rules, they do. They all have rules posted, whether right on the inside or just outside, but they all usually have somewhere between like 10 and 15 rules in almost every single time if not every single time, one of those rules is you are not allowed to have leashes on your dog in the dog park. Now, the reason why I understand it's because not everybody is responsible and not everybody is watching their dog in the dog park. The funny thing is, guys, those rules are created because of people being irresponsible. It's not to say incidents and accidents don't happen, but that's the reason. Because most people are not paying attention. And God forbid the dog gets caught up on something or gets caught up on another dog if you're not watching. And then an accident or an incident can happen. So, um, you know, I personally don't like to forfeit my control when I go to the dog park. Um, I need to maintain it. I I think it's kind of counterintuitive for a dog park to go, here is a completely uncontrolled environment with a ton of dogs. But in order to go into the uncontrolled environment, you need to forfeit all your control. (laughs) Like when you think about that, it kind of sounds a little silly, doesn't it? Um, so I don't like to take that leash off. Now here's an example why. Let's say, uh, I drop the leash and all of a sudden my dog feels cornered and I see another dog about to get in a fight with my dog. Now, if I don't have that dog leashed up, my options to break up that fight become a little more limited. Or, as I like to say it, redirect that fight, because it hasn't happened yet. I like to try to redirect things before they happen, before they occur. Or, let's say the fight does happen. The last thing you want to have to do is reach in and grab a dog by the collar when a fight's going down, right? That's just silly. But if I have a six-foot leash attached to that dog, I can pick up the end of that leash and safely at least pull a dog away. Or, if both owners are paying attention and both owners have their dog leashed, each owner can come in, grab the leash of their dog, and pull them off safely and easily. But the dog park tells us to forfeit that control, right? That's a little silly, a little counterintuitive. So uh, I, I uh, counterproductive, I say counterintuitive, counterproductive is actually, I think the word I'm going for there. Um, but needless to say, it's part of the reason I don't always love a dog park and why it can be a little tricky. Okay. So. But again, hey, I shouldn't need the leash, right? My dog knows a recall if I'm in the dog park, intent, 10 wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, <laughs> right? So you shouldn't be going to the dog park unless your dog knows a recall. And if my dog knows a recall, then I shouldn't necessarily need that leash. But again, I don't want to forfeit all of my control. And in, in doing so, taking off a leash, you, you are, right? So just think about that. But, but with that said, when someone else in a dog park comes over and tells you what to do, look, don't let anybody tell you how to train your dog. Don't let anybody else make you feel comfortable about how you want to train your dog. Okay. Especially if you're working with a professional and someone has given you advice. I can't tell you how many times my clients have come back to me and oh my God, I can't go to a dog park without people telling me I'm wrong 50 times in 50 different ways. And if you're one of those people, you know. (sighs) Maybe you should back off a little bit <laughs> I'm sorry but you should it's not your dog it's not your rules you don't know what training and what they've been through with that dog that's something to think about when you try to uh, when you try to put your views on somebody else in general <clears throat> maybe not just about dogs you don't know where that person has been with that situation you don't know their perspective on it And so that's really important to think about when you're at a dog park, you don't know the perspective of the other person. Okay. So keep that in mind. Don't let somebody else tell you how to train your dog. If you're not comfortable with something, don't do it. Okay. Don't. It's your dog. It's your rules. Be empowered by that. I can't stress that enough. Okay. So, okay. Let's get back to it. Once I'm comfortable, guys, if I see the dog's doing great, dragging around the leash, everything is hunky dory. Hey, maybe then I'm ready to pop off the leash and all is well. And that's how you have a successful trip to the dog park. You really got to just take your time, ease your way into it. Uh, There's no rush, you know, there's never any rush. It's better to take your time and and be able to redirect and not let incidents occur versus just going in there and going full throttle and and letting all that energy just go and explode. Um, I prefer to take my time with it. And I always, 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 always have had more success doing it that way. Um, so really keep that in mind. If you need, if you, you know, if you're going to go to a dog park, the first thing you want to keep in mind is that you need to have control over your own dog. That's the best way to set yourself up for success. And of course, get with a professional trainer or behavior specialist. They can help you out with that. And you're going to call me if you live nearby in Palm city, Stuart, Florida, uh, at the nature of training can definitely help you out with that. So hope that kind of like, you know, made some sense there and maybe think makes you think about dog parks in a little bit different light. And uh, again, maintain control over your dog and you should have a lot less to worry about. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. You can find more information by checking out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. We're located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, we're gonna do a short segment really quick on feeding dogs people food. Yes, feeding dogs people food. You know, I would say probably most everyone feeds their dog people food at some point or in some manner. And most people also lie to me about feeding their dog people food. And, you know, it. it I think it's a personal rule at the end of the day. it is. It is. It's sort of this... It's your dog. And I I tell my clients this, it's your dog. I'm not going to tell you what the rules are and are not in your household. If you want to have a dog that barks and begs for food, if you want to have a dog that jumps all over you, if you want to have a dog that steals food off people's hands or off tables, or if you want to have a dog that won't leave you alone in the kitchen, if you want to have a dog that pesters the hell out of you for food, by all means, that's your dog. It's your household. It's your rules. Um, What I tell people is I'm going to tell you the consequences that come along with it. I'm going to tell you the consequences that are going to go with feeding your dog people food, okay? Uh, So, you know, it it starts here. It starts very simply put that the reason I don't want to feed dogs people food is most of the food we put in our mouths is not the best for us. It's not the healthiest necessarily. Some of you out there, I'm sure, eat very healthy and that's wonderful. But most of us, come on, we, 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 we don't eat as well as we should. So if we're eating this food that maybe isn't the best for us health-wise, and then we're giving it to our dog? That's You're doing your dog a disservice health-wise. Just, just that fact alone. Look, I knew somebody years ago who had a teacup Chihuahua, and he would feed this teacup Chihuahua, I kid you not, a large French fry from McDonald's, I think once a week. Now, guys, we know McDonald's French fries are not the healthiest. They're delicious, but they're not the healthiest thing. They're not something we should be eating often or regularly. And this person was feeding a four pound dog, a large French fry once a week. Now I'm sorry, but from my perspective, that's passive abuse. It is, it is. That's, that's ridiculous. You're feeding an animal so much salt and you're making that little heart just beat out of its chest. I mean, that's not okay. And I think most people, when they feed their dogs, they're doing it for themselves. Right? They're doing it because it's ma- it makes them happy that they think they're making their dog happy. Look, if you want to feed your dog some people food, you want to grill up a steak for your dog, go right ahead. But don't put any spices, don't put any oil, don't put any of that extra crap that, that's not good for them. And then you want to feed them a steak. Hey, again, not my rules. I will say this. If you want to feed your dog people food, here, here's my disclaimer. guy. You know what? Again, your rules. If you want to feed your dog people food, I just ask this. Don't do it while you're cooking. Don't do it while you're eating. Because all you're doing is teaching that dog to beg and come at you every time you have food. And then your guests, it's going to be the it's going to court, uh, associate the same thing with people that come over, and that's not what you want. So look, if you're going to give your dog a piece of people food, wait 30 minutes till after you're done eating. Wait 30 minutes till you've left the kitchen. Take that piece of food, put it on a plate, set it aside. Half an hour later, come back and put the food in the dog's food bowl. Make them sit, make them stay, then let them have it. That way, they're only associating the food with their food bowl. They're only associating with eating eating time. Now, again, my personal belief is you should not be feeding your dog people food. Piece of banana, piece of fruit, piece of something like that. Absolutely. I know people that uh, would use carrots as dog treats. Their dog loved carrots. Awesome. That's fantastic. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I'm talking about people who are literally giving their dogs leftovers, who's who's people who are making their dogs overweight and unhealthy. Um, It's not just an inconvenience and annoyance to have a dog begging you for people food. It's unhealthy for them to be eating that much stuff that they shouldn't be eating. Okay, so I get it. You know, you want to share a little bite with your bud, with your best bud, your best friend. I get it. I understand. I again, I give my dogs occasionally a piece of banana, but it goes in their food bowl. I give it to them when they're not, bit when they're passed out on the couch and they don't, they don't even realize it. They'll set up, eat the piece of banana, put their head back down and fall back asleep. They don't look for more. They don't beg for more uh, because of how I've conditioned it. And again, I don't give it often. I don't give it all the time. I don't give it in a consistent way that they're expecting it. Um, Now, I will give one other little pet peeve of mine. (laughs) One little. A big pet peeve of mine, and I know a lot of people, you're going to roll your eyes and be like, oh, David, gosh, can't you? I don't like the pup cups at Starbucks. You're feeding your dog straight up dairy. And unless maybe they've changed to a non-dairy or a dog healthy something, that would be excellent. Starbucks, hint, hint. Um, you know, then I, I don't like them. I don't like the pup cups. It's terrible. You shouldn't be feeding your dog dairy like that. And most of you probably end up paying for it in the end when you get home and you have to pick up poop that you can't pick up cause you fed your dog dairy. Gross. Um, hats off to places like Chick-fil-A, if I'm not mistaken. I think they give milk bones. They give a dog treat. If you're a local business and you want to give a dog a treat, give them a dog treat. Give them something that's made for them. I'm all about that. There's nothing wrong with that. But giving a dog a cup of whipped cream, come on, people. Come on. It's a dog. It's not a little human being. The reason you're giving that dog a cup of whipped cream is to make you feel happy and you feel better. But the dog's the one that's going to have intestinal pain. They're the one that's going to pay for it in the end. Uh, So, you know, again, when it comes to human food and dogs, personally, I only feel like natural foods, carrots, bananas, things like that, fruits... Uh, that are healthy for a dog to eat. Obviously, we want to stay away from the stuff that's not healthy. Make sure you check those lists of what's healthy, what's not healthy for a dog. Um, But again, to me, when it comes to human food, I really try to create a separation between dogs and people. Not just for the training aspect of the begging and the dog bothering you in the kitchen and so on and so forth, but from the health perspective as well. A lot of the food we eat is just not the healthiest for us, so it's not going to be very healthy for them. So just kind of keep that in mind when it comes to dogs and people food. In these crazy times we are living in right now, there is only one thing for certain. You got to eat. And if you got to eat, you better eat good. I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I only want to use the highest quality ingredients. So I turned to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, you can check them out, too, over at SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Now, they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies, just to name a few. I got my hands on some of that peach habanero jelly, and I was putting it on everything. I was eating it on my toast in the morning. I also took some of Ken's barbecue sauce, slapped it on some pork, finished it off with some of that habanero jelly, stuck it in the oven, and it was sweet, tangy, spicy deliciousness. Absolutely amazing. And when you buy from Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, you know you're getting a quality product from a quality guy. Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. The best part, guys southern pride delivers nationwide that's right nationwide delivery now he also has amazing gift baskets and with the holidays coming up you're definitely going to want to get your hands on those and definitely be sure you get your hands on some of the beef jerky ken sells it is some of the most delectable beef jerky i've ever tasted i am a beef jerky fanatic All different kinds of flavors to choose from. You know, you just have to do yourself a favor. Head on over to SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Check it out for yourself. That's right. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the English Bulldog. Now, the English Bulldog is a non-sporting dog, and they only come in at about 14 to 15 inches tall. However, they weigh around 40 to 50 pounds. Now, we all know them to be friendly and courageous and thick and well-muscled, but docile and loyal companions, too. Now, don't let their size fool you, though. They do need a good brisk walk and a steady diet to stay healthy. They are eager to please, sweet, and devoted. And with early training and socialization, they can make phenomenal pets. When it comes to the English Bulldog's health, like all dogs with shorter snouts or brachiocephalic dogs, owners need to be cautious of not letting their dogs overheat. They do tend to be a pretty hardy breed, though, and owners are recommended to have their hearts and patellas evaluated on a regular basis. Now, Kept healthy, English Bulldog has a life expectancy of around 10 to 12 years. On the origin of the English Bulldog, there is evidence that they were created around the 13th century in England for the sport of bull baiting. Now, bull baiting is where a staked bull fought a pack of dogs while spectators would bet on the outcome. The dogs used here were the ancestors of today's bulldogs. And In 1835, England actually banned blood sports with animals and bull baiting went underground, well, quite literally, as they started started pit dog fighting down in cellars. This activity needed a faster and more agile dog than those of the 19th century, so gamblers and breeders began crossing the Bulldogs with various terrier breeds, and in doing so, ended up creating some early versions of the Bull Terrier, the Staffordshire Terrier, and other bull-type breeds. Mm -hmm. As bull baiting and other blood sports became obsolete, Bulldogs actually faced becoming extinct. So, bulldog lovers and admirers began to breed the bulldog down to a more docile and loyal companion-type dog, and of course tampered down some of that ferociousness. And by 1886, the AKC had officially recognized the English bulldog. Now, The bulldog has also long since become a national symbol of England. During World War II, people often said that the bulldog, with its jowly tenacity, resembled Prime Minister Winston Churchill. In America, it is actually the mascot for Yale University and the University of Georgia, where Uga is always present at their games in his AC doghouse on the field. Go Gators! The Bulldog also serves as the mascot for Mack Trucks and the United States Marine Corps. I hope you're enjoying Speak a Dogcast so far. Don't forget to click that subscribe button, give us a rating or a review, and let us know what you think. If you have any questions for the Q&A segment, you can email us at questions at Speakadogcast.com. Next on Speak a Dogcast, we have our guest spot. Joining me today is Alexandra Ash from Kinkatopia. She is the CEO and founder, and Kinkajou Ambassador Extraordinaire is kind of the way I see it. And I'm sure already some of you out there are going, "What is a Kinkajou?" So I'm gonna just introduce, hand it off to Alex here. Hey, Alex, how are you?
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Right,
0: thanks for coming on. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of start right there. <laughs> Let's tell everybody what a kinkajou is.
1: I get this question all the time. <laughs> um, so a kinkajou is easily described as like a monkey bear. Um, that being said, <laughs> they are actually in the raccoon family. They look like a little monkey bear. Um, they're in the raccoon family. They're from South and Central America. Uh, they live in the treetops of the rainforest there. They are a nocturnal mammal um, and they get into the U.S. and other parts of the world because of the pet trade. So they've become this animal that's very op- overrepresented in the pet trade, but very underrepresented when it comes to information about them. Um, and that's where Kinkatopia comes in.
0: Awesome. So tell us a little about Kinkatopia.
1: So Kinkatopia is actually the only Kinkajou-specific organization for these animals in the whole entire world. Um we have a, a couple facets to us. We have the sanctuary here in Boca Raton where I take them in permanently. Um, I also work nationally uh, to place them in organizations. Uh, unfortunately, what you run into a lot is that people um, get them as as pets and they're wild animals, and then they want to to rehome them, you know. Um, and what they typically do is because they're a pricey animal, they want to get the money back that they Paid for them, so they'll sell them anywhere. So these animals then go in this constant cycle of people getting them that are inexperienced and don't know what to do with them, over and over and over. Um, so I work to place them permanently at these other facilities um, and with credible private owners because I can't take them all in here. I'd love to, but I can't. Um, so to date, actually, we just took in um, our tenth kinkajou to Kinkatopia. However, it's the 51st Kinkajou that um, I've settled permanently since March, 2018 when we launched. Um, And then kind of like the third um, aspect of Kinkatopia is that, so we advise against them being pets. However, there are thousands of them in captivity all over the world. So I'm documenting information, whether it be medical husbandry, enrichment, just basic keeping to assure that the information is getting out there to these animals so they can have the best quality of life possible. Um, therefore, people having that information, keeping them in the homes that they start out in. So we're ending this cycle of rehoming over and over and over. So uh, I walk a, a fine line with that. You know, I I, I want to help them all. The main mission is for the best interest of the Kinkajous. So we yeah. try to cover
0: it. Absolutely. You know, it's 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 funny because you're you're touching on a topic that everybody thinks is so black and white, right? Animals either have to be in captivity or not, and I I am a personal believer in that. It's it's about balance. It's not that animals can't be kept in captivity. It's that unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't educate themselves and who don't do it correctly. Um, and most people, yeah, majority of the population should not be having a Kinkajou in their care, yeah. should not be having, for that matter, any exotic animal in their care. Um, but there is, just as anything, a right and a wrong way to do things. And, you know, even from my own experience with exotic animals, there's, there's so much we can learn and understand from having that contact and having uh, the, that enrichment and being able to work with them in a healthy and balanced way. Um, so you know, I, I like that you're kind of saying you ride the line, but you know, something that's, that to me is the healthy way to do it. You're doing it the correct yeah. way. And that's what I, you know, I, I love when I, when I hear that. Um, so it, I love the education is, you know, where you guys start and everything as well. So, uh, that's really cool. So you have Thank now you. 10 Kinkajous. That's, <laughs> that's, that's gotta be a lot of work. I mean, wow. Tell us like what the average day looks like for you
1: there. <laughs> so we have 10, um, we're taking in, 11th at the beginning of December um so I guess a little bit more background to then get into what my day looks like like I mentioned these guys are nocturnal right so everything happens (laughs) um there are 10 these are like perpetual toddlers they have the intelligence they say the intelligence of a three-year-old I some days believe it's more um, you know these are animals that require a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of energy. so you know I've had some people where they're like, oh you only have 10 and I'm like, okay, you obviously don't know what <laughs> you can do it. like holy crap um, That being said too, the sanctuary is built into my home. so we have an indoor space and we have outdoor enclosures as well and we're sitting on less than a quarter acre in Boca Raton. so this is, this dream that, you know, came to fruition, it's, it's, it's built, it's building because we are expanding now. um, And we hope to grow into, you know, some, some land someday. So we're trying to maximize what we have. So we're growing. Um, We're going to be adding two more cages out back. So um, I need volunteers. I do have people who come and help me. Thank God. Um, A normal day. So um, I work, I work, a nine to five. And then I do freelance work. Um, I've been uh, like furloughed, I guess we'll say for the past two months, but typically are the, excuse me, the coming two months, I typically work the two jobs. And then my nights are dedicated to the animals. Um, The animals wake up at dusk. So the indoors get appetizers. So they all get their snacks, you know, whenever they wake up, the outdoors do not get snacks because they get fed first. And then everyone else inside gets fed. So this is imagine happening between seven and eight o'clock, right? Prepare their meals, let everyone loose at the main room. (laughs) Let everyone loose in the main room, um, which is a 30 by nine foot space. I have, um, two of the kinkajous all of their time out in there. There's another two. Um, I mean one kind of has free reign, whatever she wants to do, but there's, there's my fourth one who was what got me started into this. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. Um, he's my aggressive male. So he does have to be put in a cage overnight, but they come out to like midnight, 1am, they come out, they socialize, they have all their time, they do their thing. Um, so I'm, you know, feeding them I'm preparing their enrichment for the evening and then I go do my rounds which consists of feeding them socializing them spending time with them giving their enrichment um you know and I do that for I mean I'd say that the whole evening takes probably about four hours um I settle everyone in for the evening um you know maybe by 12 1 a.m I go to bed around two um we do have an owl monkey who's a nocturnal mammal. So he comes out then after everyone else to socialize, um, I sleep. And then, you know, the first thing I do when I wake up is I have to clean and maintenance everyone. Um, and that can, you know, take one to two hours each day, you know, before, um, in order to make the whole sanctuary function, um, weekends are dedicated to deep cleaning, um, you know, and my volunteers come once a, once a week on Mondays, and then I do a monthly volunteer event so um it stays pretty involved you gotta stay on top of things um you know and then there's of course the odd jobs like the renovations or you know the the light fixtures that need to be fixed or the ropes that fell down or you know there's there's all that so um it's it's full time and that's just the animal maintenance so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes it is wow so again, those of you thinking you should get an exotic animal, <laughs> you should think twice, long and hard. And then of course there's all the licensing and everything uh that you mm-hmm. have to go through that anybody who owns an exotic in the state of Florida and and every state has their own individual licensing and of course depending on what animal you have, then you have to go through USDA and there's all these things that people just don't consider um, you know, when, when they go and get an exotic animal. Yeah. Um, so it's really awesome. That's, that's incredible. That you, you are fully, fully in on this. Clearly. That's, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Very cool.
1: I'm in deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So you said, uh, how, how long have you been training animals again or working with them and you know, the whole thing, the whole shebang, how long have you been working with animals?
1: Going on two decades. I mean, I started young. I got into it as a teenager, um, but it's something that continuously, you know, followed through definitely through my 20s, now into my 30s, um, you know, and I don't see it going anywhere soon. For <laughs> a while. Going away, yeah. For
0: a while, yeah. Nice, nice. And you have a few other exotic animals in the house as well, right?
1: We do. We do. So um, I mentioned the owl monkey, mm-hmm. right? Actually, all of the mammals here are nocturnal. So our house is a party at night <laughs> reptiles of course are diurnal but um so we have in addition to the owl monkey and the kinkajous we have flying squirrels um uh we have some house cats but we we have sphinxes we just got a werewolf cat which is pretty cool um and then my fiance keeps venomous so we have a whole collection of venomous snakes um we've got an alligator out back we've taken um, i got into tortoises over covid um so it's a full house we have um just under 40 animals here oh my now. goodness yeah
0: yeah wow
1: so it is it's a full house
0: and and also i do apologize if you hear kind of a uh, whooshing in the background there we've, we've got the tropical storm coming over us at the moment so yeah. anybody listening to that's that's what you're hearing uh, i apologize i can't make rain go away um <laughs> wow well that's incredible that's really cool Man, that is a lot of animals. So, okay, you have volunteers. You can always use help. So how can people, you know, obviously we have social media and all those great ways Mm -hmm. to connect with you. How can people reach out? How can people donate? How can people help out?
1: Sure, sure. Um, So the Kinkajus are on every social media facet you can imagine. Um, We blew up on TikTok over um, COVID, which was super exciting um, for just silly stuff. But you know what? We'll take it. Mm -hmm. We have Patreon, which is a really cool way for people to get involved. Um, For those who don't know, it's a subscription service, um, which gives you the ability to donate monthly, um, but contribute to um, behind the scenes, you know, stuff here going on at Kinkatopia. I have a blog. Um, We've got all sorts of little fun packages there, um, birthday shout outs, Um, Traditional donations, of course, you know, on Facebook donation. I mean, we accept every type of virtual, you know, donation possible. Um, we have an Amazon wish list. We currently have an Amazon wish list um, for the two Kinkajus that we're we're taking in. Um, we're starting to build their cages next week. Launching this whole expansion project here for the end of the year. Um, you know, so those are those are are certainly the. The main ways, I mean, volunteering time, I do have a monthly um, volunteer event that is a six-hour evening where you come in and you learn how to be a Kinkatopia keeper. So you're going to help me do everything from clean them to socialize them. Um, you have dinner here with us. You get an education bit on them. And then, of course, you can take all the selfies you want because <laughs> we're a huge advocate in sharing them, too. When people come here, I want people to to share their experience. Um, you know, and showing, doing. Um, so it's our volunteer event. Um, I mean, all the animals have sponsors. You can be a monthly guardian angel. Our website is um Um, and there's all sorts of fun nuggets, whether it just be information or bios on the animals or different ways that you can contribute, um, is all super, super helpful. Um, I don't have any paid employees. It's literally all volunteer based. All of the money goes directly to the animals. Like I said, I work jobs myself so I can support myself um, and support the household, Um, you know, and the Kinkajus. It's just they are they are the primary purpose.
0: Nice. So Kinkatopia is the only Kinkajou rescue in the entire country, right? The whole world, whole world. Well, wow. <laughs> so, yes. and you guys do. Uh, I mean, of course, you do enrichment and things like that. But you do some training work with them as well, correct? Right. So tell Absolutely. us. Uh, yeah, you can tell us more more about that.
1: Sure, sure. So, we actually had a, an animal trainer who came and worked with us for um, a, a year and a half. Um, you know, teaching us the um, the the basics. You know the crate training, stationing, targeting, you know, and this is all stuff that makes our lives easier to work with the animals. But what I found so interesting with the kinkajous, because, you know, coming into this, and I, I do want to touch on, of course, um, why kinkajous? I always get, you know, that question. But, you know, coming into this, I, I there's always been like this controversy if, um, how, how to work with the inks, you know, the, the negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, you know, what, how does it all come together? You know, and with these animals, what I found so greatly is that they really, um, respond to, to positive reinforcement. These are animals that hold grudges. You know, if you're going to swat their nose, you're going to swat their, but anything like that, these animals are going to remember, they're going to have a whole laundry list, you know, that they're going to bring up against you. Um, You know, and I personally, I'm not an advocate. I couldn't find where I could redirect an animal like that. You know, I wasn't comfortable doing it. Um, You know, so we started working with, I had my aggressive male. Um, And he was hormonally aggressive. I did not neuter him in time and I'll get to that. But I found that with using just these basic training um, routines, how much the animals themselves enjoyed it because they're smart, right? So my guys here will choose the enrichment. They will choose the training to get a treat to, you know, or to work for their dinner then instead of just going receiving or being it, being handed something. Yes. Yeah. Um, these animals too, naturally in the wild, they're spending their whole nights foraging, you exactly. know, it's, it's help, uh, you know, take up the time for them, but it's innately built into them. So I found that the, the training and just having these basic, basic routines with them have been so important. Um, And it was something that I definitely didn't see. I mean, you see it in zoos, 100%. You see it in sanctuaries. But we're trying to incorporate that into private ownership, you know. And again, there's that fine line we're working. We're trying to show people how it works in the grand scheme to, again, keep those animals healthy and happy. Is healthy
0: and happy. And I'm so glad you're touching on that. You know, um, anybody listening, go back and you can hear my dog psychology one oh one segment because it applies to this. And what I do talk about is the difference of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, redirection, what this terminology means and how to utilize it. And it, I, I love that you said that because everything you're saying just hits right in the nail on the head of what I preach. Um, when we have animals in captivity, even a dog, and this is what drives me crazy is people don't even think of a dog being an animal in captivity, but in a roundabout way it is. Um, and we have to provide these, well, artificial tasks. Um, it's no different. Um, I preach, you don't just put down food for your dog and leave it there. And that's a topic for a different day. Uh, but even just making your dog sit, stay, wait, and and then releasing them to their food. You just gave them an artificial task. And that's the point. These animals, if they were in the wild, even a dog as a domesticated wolf. Uh, these animals, if they're in the wild, they have to work for their food. And quite frankly, I don't know about you, Alex, but nobody hands me food for free. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to work for my food, too. It's no different. That's how animals and psychology work. And I find that most people fight against it by trying to provide everything for their animal. But in doing so, you're actually giving them less uh, I have you know I, I sometimes get phone calls for birds is is a great example mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. most you know it's like you know with birds and macaws it's biting people's fingers off that's usually what I get and the first thing I ask him is well how do you do feeding Well, oh, I leave a bowl of food in there I don't know why he's not happy. Hmm. so there you go your bird is not it's getting food and has nothing to do and nothing bird and bird bird intelligence is again another topic for a different day (laughs) but but it's so you're hitting the nail on the head and i love it and i love that you got with somebody who you know a trainer who came in and 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 worked with you guys on this stuff because it's it's so important to give your animal dog cat all the way through a kinkajou uh right these artificial tasks to give them something to do and that's how you do it in a healthy and balanced way and i that's just right. awesome love it love it so yeah. yeah tell us more
1: no they're they're super super they they love it they look forward to it yeah. um you know and whether it's just if it's a forging activity um or you know when my volunteers come on monday my um my one guy in particular they'll do targeting with him and he's also mm-hmm. loves he gives his hand right so you you give him a cue and he'll stick his hand out of the cage and he'll touch your hand you know it's adorable and he just thinks it's fantastic but you know you see how wound up he is at the beginning of the session and then by the end you know he's like relaxed laying kicking back in his enclosure and he's in his enclosure because he's he's aggressive you know so he has to we do have bars between us for him oh yeah so arkham my sweet boy um, you know, I used to run this, I used to run another organization for captive wildlife and exotics. I was doing anything from fur farm rescue to, you know, rehoming of, you know, whether it was class three in Florida, which are, you know, skunks or, uh, I mean, any lemurs like yeah, that's that. a,
0: that's a class um, three license through Florida fish and wildlife yeah. and, and what that covers for this, uh, through don't know. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, I mean, ferrets, so re rehoming anything and everything, um, and I met a kinkajou and within 48 hours, uh, I took a loan out from my bank, and ran out and I purchased one at pet shop. And I don't suggest any of this disclaimer guys. I am the person I advise not to get a kinkajou. Um, so I got one, brought him home at three weeks. So still too young, bottle feeding. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I raised him. I took him out in public. I let him loose in my house. He didn't have boundaries. There were, you know, it was, I just thought he was this cool little creature who was just my best friend. And he still is. He still is. But I didn't know what I was doing. So around six months old, I got him a companion. I got a female um, who I thought was a a six-month-old antisocial baby. Turns out she was a full-grown, wild-caught adult who was imported into the U.S., Mm. Um, and thank God she's a unicorn. She's as as docile as she can be, but she, um, she can't be handled. You can't pet her. You can't hold her. She does her own thing. Her name's Gotham, Arkham and Gotham, Batman fan. Um, and I wanted to breed them because that's what so many people, and I run into my story so often with people who reach out to me and I'm just like, I know where your head's at. Um, (laughs) people around me were saying, listen, you got to get them spayed and neutered. You're not going to be able to handle them. You can't take them out in public. Like that's insane. That's risky. Like what are you doing? Um, but I knew better. I knew better than everyone else. Sure enough. Um, Arkham did start biting. Um, I'll get into bites then, but he did start biting and, um, it got to a point where he turned on me too. And it was all hormonal. Um, he had his female and, Uh, got to a point where I couldn't handle him anymore. Um, and I started reaching out for help and there wasn't really anyone out there that, you know, had a magic answer. Uh, vets were telling me, well, it's too late. You can't neuter him now. You know, he's get rid of him. And so I wound up connecting with a woman at a sanctuary in West Palm and she had the same experience as me. And she said, listen, you got to accept where you're at. You've promised to love this animal unconditionally. So you've got to give him what he needs. And You just gotta stop putting yourself, you know, in a position where you're gonna get bit by him. Okay. So we took a year off from the animal community. I had some, some, this is when all this was happening. Um, So during that year, you know, we gave him this 30 by nine foot space, you know, we trained him to come to, they have sliding glass doors. So we trained him to come to the door to give his tail. They've prehensile tails, so you can lift them that way. Prehensile means it acts as like a fifth arm. So basically we put training in place so I could safely interact with him, get him into a kennel, clean his room, get him back into his space. Um, At that point, I had the nonprofit's license from the old organization and um, we relaunched his Kinkatopia. So since then, Arkham has been neutered. He was neutered when he was three uh, three years old and uh, he still cannot be handled. He's five now. He still can't be handled. Um, But with the training... Um, you know, with his routine, with the neutering and, um, I'm a huge advocate of CBD that has been able to give him a healthy balance instead of being, you know, a wiry little hormonal creature running around, not knowing what to do with this time. Um, you know, and that's where Kinkatopia came from. And those are like, I mean, I am literally the person that I would say, please do not get a Kinkajou. And I run into it all the time, all the time. So, um. Yeah, it's um, it's something else, but I wouldn't change it for the world.
0: Yeah, wow, wow, yeah, no, that's crazy, and uh, and and look where it led to. So, <laughs> that's yeah. that's cool, uh, wow, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's 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 a good topic and it's a controversial topic, right? Um, exotic animals as pets, but yeah, um, not not to start dropping names with specials that might be on streaming platforms, but people who advocate for saying no one should have them, but me have ulterior yeah. motives and interests in mind. Um, yeah. Whereas people who are willing like yourself to go out and educate and make, make people understand what goes into it versus, you know, saying all or nothing. Um, I think that's, again, I think that's just a really, really great message um, to put out there. No, well, oh, really... go ahead.
1: Um, no, whenever people do ask me, um, Cause I mean now, and especially we have to be so careful, especially with social media, right? In today's day and age. And, you know, I mentioned the TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff. I constantly get asked, are these pets? Are these, are they good pets? Are these, can I get one? Where can I get one? And I will say across the board, I'll say, do not get them as pets. These are not pets. Um, and what I found is the people who are serious We'll take five minutes and they'll see what that means. They'll contact me. They'll look behind the message. Um, because if we sit here and say, they're not pets for most people, someone's going to be just like me. And they're going to say, I'm different Mm -hmm. and get one. And then that animal's going to be rehomed in a year. And that I, I run into that. I run into people contact me and I say, please, this animal is not a fit for you. They get one. And a year later they're saying, can you take it? Can you help me place it? Um, So I do have a section on our website that um, uh, kinks as pets in parentheses, Um, and there's about 21 talking points as to why they are not pets for 99% of everyone. Exactly. I mentioned the bites. These animals have big fangs. They bite you. They lock their jaw. Your bite's going to get infected. It's painful. They are destructive, they are expensive, they are moody, nocturnal. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, they really are, you're living with a wild animal.
0: It's a wild, yeah, I was going to say, exactly. It's a wild animal exactly, at the, end of the day. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, and since, you know, we're starting to establish statistics, you know, at this point with, you know, having been running almost three years, my findings are about 10 to 15% of kinkajus stay in the homes that they start out in. Um, It's rare to come across a kinkajou in the double digits, uh, not to mention someone who's had a kinkajou, you know, that age their whole life. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking and you don't see many that are, um, you know, 15 years or older. These animals uh, can live record is 40 years. Uh, You're looking at about 25 to 30 for each of these animals. So these are, these animals that are here with me or with me for life, they are my children. Um, you know, so it just, the stories, you know, you, you see a lot of sad, sad stuff and it's not just, it's just kinkajous. It's the exotics across the board, oh, you absolutely. know, you could take these same statistics and say that they're for lemurs, for foxes, for, for
0: macaws. For-
1: yeah. And the yeah. thing and the
0: thing with a macaw is that, you know, something to note is they're considered a domesticated animal, which is to yeah. me kind of messed up because a macaw is yeah. not really a domestic. Not really. A macaw is not a domesticated animal. Um, yes. It's still a wild bird. You know, I have two macaws and one of them was a pet and somebody had it. it it's funny because this person that had the macaw for 10 years raised it from a little baby chick. Did a really, honestly, mostly an amazing job with her. But one day decided they didn't have time for her anymore. And I don't know the full circumstances of her story. But basically, from my understanding, put her in a dark room, put her in her cage. And so she started screaming and plucking herself. Um, yeah. And so she's partially, she has a little bit of her chest that she actually has ripped the follicle completely out. And will always have a bare patch that never comes back. But even myself, it's it's like this full-time, <laughs> even with what I do for a living, it's a full-time job. Uh, to keep her stimulated enough because of the close bond she clearly had made with her previous owner um, and very smart animals, just like a Kinkajou, you know, and, and you have to be able to dedicate yourself. She's only what, 14, 15 years old. And, you know, I have her for life. Same thing. Um, you know, she's in my care forever now. And and we're going to make sure she has a good home. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the same thing. You're so right. It's the same thing across the board with exotics that people, do not consider what goes into it. And I say the same thing with a macaw, even though anybody, any, any Joe Schmo can buy a macaw. Unfortunately, there's no licensing there. I tell everyone you absolutely should not. I live on five acres. Uh, Luckily I don't have a lot of neighbors close by. So, uh, but I, you know, I used to live in a neighborhood and man, I would try to keep that bird so busy and move her around and change the enrichment and all this stuff just to keep her occupied and give her something to do and foraging and all that good stuff that comes with it. Um, and, and it's, a, it's a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of dedication. And I think majority of people just don't comprehend what that really means. But again, I think it's phenomenal what, what you're doing and the education that you're doing and, and all the outreach, and all the good stuff you guys do. Um, so really, really cool. Fantastic. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks awesome awesome so yeah if you're in the south florida area again you know uh you're in boca if anybody wants to help out you can reach out and as well i just want to make sure um since most people don't even know kinkajous i want to spell that for you it's k-i-n-k-a-t-o-p-i-a that's kinkatopia you can check that out kinkatopia.org of course find them across the social media spectrum facebook instagram all that good stuff um it's really really cool again it it makes me so happy when i see other great animal people doing great things with animals and it's it's not this you know, through the cage kind of stuff only and no contact and that's that's not what I believe in and I I don't believe that's the way to get the best education with and work with animals in a healthy and balanced way. So I think what you guys are doing is just absolutely fantastic. I love it. Um, you know, hey, with COVID and everything, maybe I can get down to see you guys and I'd love to see your setup sometime. Absolutely. And yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So again, hey, thank you so much for coming on. Really, I appreciate your time and appreciate everything. And again, guys, check out Kinkaton. Org. You can check out more info on Kinkajous and if you have a dollar to spare or anything like that, every little bit goes a long way towards feeding and helping these guys. So again, Alex, thanks so much. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Q&A segment. The first question comes from Doug in Lake Mary, Florida. Doug asks, do dogs see in black and white? Short answer, no. Dogs have what we call dichromatic vision. They can only see two colors, and dogs can only discern blues and yellows. Next question. This question is from Stephanie in Jensen Beach, Florida. Stephanie asks, how often should I be bathing my dog? The short answer really is, you should be bathing your dog every four to six weeks. However, it does depend upon the breed. Bathing certain breeds too much can create irritation, where uh, other breeds, such as hairless breeds, need weekly bathing in order to keep their skin hydrated and healthy. Next question is from Kathy in Orlando, Florida. Kathy asks, why do dogs eat grass? Short answer really is, most oftentimes it's one of three things. Either a lack of proper nutrition, boredom, or a lack of training against the behavior that'll wrap things up for the podcast today thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to alexandra ash from kinkatopia for joining on the guest spot you can check out kinkatopia.org for more information if you guys like what you hear don't forget to click that subscribe button give us a rating or review and if you have any questions for the q a you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog